0: <laughs> Hi Sophia. Hi Austin.
1: How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm not too bad. I am getting into the depths of my second month of school. I'm so sorry. that's starting to take its toll as people will notice by our erratic <laughs> schedule. but
0: <laughs> That's very kind of you for saying that when it's actually me who usually derails us. That's a good friend.
1: <laughs> I don't think anyone have been reading too much lately so
0: no, between the new job and the new program, um, things have been a little bit uh, busy, but we're happy to be back.
1: That being said, have you read anything new or interesting lately?
0: Yes, I've been binging some fun books. Um, I just finished A Portrait of a Scotsman by Evie Dunmore, which was so cute and fun. Um, it was like historical romance, but she incorporates a lot of um, history from suffragettes that I hadn't really you know, known about. Uh, so it was really good.
1: That's yeah. interesting. That sounds cool.
0: It was fun. I, I would recommend it if you're into that. Hmm. What about you?
1: I just finished reading If We Were Villains by. Mm. Oh, I forget the author's name. That's embarrassing. R.L. Rio?
0: <laughs> I think that sounds right.
1: M.L. Rio. Which we will be talking with Peyton and Bailey about from You Have to Read This Book podcast in a couple weeks. So everybody keep okay. your eyes out for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you're not listening to them, you should. They're fantastic. Um, and we're so happy to be chatting with them again. They're really fun. Mm.
1: Other than that, it's just been class readings. I had a 98-page reading in one of my classes last week. Casual. On top of two 60-page readings.
0: Grad school is not <laughs> for the faint of heart. I'm gonna Believe this, right
1: though. I got, it, I got it done.
0: <laughs> I'm unsurprised. <laughs> You're a gem.
1: <laughs> but this week, we are talking the girl with the dragon tattoo.
0: Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a little callback to last week. No, this week we're talking about (laughs) Julius Caesar.
0: Yes, and this time I have prepared the right book. Um, Well, this is a play, but we're on the same page.
1: I think I did pretty well last time, considering I wasn't prepared to discuss that Yeah,
0: I thought you did really well. I was like, I would not have held up my memory that strongly.
1: I think people will be surprised that I actually wasn't the one to choose the play for this week.
0: Yeah, I love Caesar. I don't know what it is. I
1: think it, you wanted to do Antony and Cleopatra, right? And then we were oh, like, well, yeah. we can't do that without doing Caesar first.
0: Come on, we gotta. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but yeah. I really love this play as well. It's one of my favorites from Shakespeare.
0: It's super good. I don't like. I think this is one of the only ones that isn't like um more of like a, a romantic thing that I'm like super into. And I wouldn't have sought it out myself. I read it for the first time in English class, of course. um And yeah, I just, I really kind of fell in love with it. Like there was a lot of language that I liked and I figured this would be a good one for us to chat about because you are all things Rome all the time. You're an expert. That
1: is correct. I I actually didn't read this one in school at all. This is one I read all on my own. Didn't?
0: Wow. (laughs) See? I'm surprised. Another iconic. (laughs) Another iconic moment. (laughs) But yeah.
1: So for people who don't know, the play tells of... The final days and death of Julius Caesar, the famous Roman general and dictator and politician. And the conflict that erupted after his death involving the two sides between Mark Antony on one side and Brutus on the other side.
0: Yeah, I would classify this as um, maybe like the predecessor to uh, Tina Fey's iconic film Mean Girls. I would say that it really just draws lines. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of like friendship and betrayal and clicks. Um, I really feel that, you know, this calls to that.
1: (laughs) I I don't know if you knew this, but the actual subtitle for um, Main Girls was a modern day Caesar.
0: Wow, the more you know, really, like our film majors are just really helpful.
1: So I want to talk characters. Who are your MVPs and LVPs this time around?
0: I mean obviously Antony I I think that obviously he was one of my first crushes as a child um we've been over this but my dad read me Shakespeare from like probably when I was like three and a half or four up and Antony and Cleopatra was where it was at for me I was in love with the drawing of Mark Antony for so long I was like this is it um I wanted to be Cleopatra it really kind of sparked a lot of interest uh in history for me (laughs) his interest in both ways but um yeah I think Antony obviously and even though he's like super annoying and conflicting at times Brutus like he he just like you know what I mean he's obviously in agony about it and we're gonna talk about it more later on um but yeah
1: so I wanted to talk about like heroes of the play do you think there is one central hero or is there a hero at all
0: Anthony even though he does have some failings and I might be biased but when we talk about like the ending acts or scenes um he really just like kind of has to me the loyalty even though like he wasn't I don't know he was kind of like neutral like he wasn't bad he wasn't good He was just upset about the loss of his friend. And I know Brutus is also upset to an extent, but it's different because he plays such an active role in the demise. Um, So I don't feel as badly for him because, you know.
1: Okay, that kind of ties into, like, the central question of the play, I think. Mm -hmm. Do you think Caesar needed to die?
0: do 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 (laughs) I don't know.
1: Be wary of the person you're talking to as well. I know.
0: Austin, you answer first, and then I'll see how I feel.
1: I definitely don't think that Caesar needed to die, like, both in the context of the play and just in the history behind it. mm mm-hmm. Caesar was, like, a, he was a very talented, very intelligent person, and yeah. he was the one who was bringing Rome back from centuries of war and conflict. But you can also argue that he was the cause of a lot of that conflict, but...
0: Yes. I think that, like, I don't know, he obviously has, like, good and bad aspects to him but kind of what reading this reminded me of, um, in like film class we talked, it filled me in history really, we talked about like great, the great man theory where like there's several people who are heralded as like these infallible, strategic, brilliant men. And it's like, okay, like Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar and everything, but like they didn't do this all by themselves. Like it's not like they're infallible, perfect beings. We just kind of like hail them as that.
1: I know, I was,
0: do. <laughs> that, like, that was interesting to me. And, like, there's a part here where, like, like in the beginning, so Brutus is kind of talking to, I always mess up his name, Cassius. And he's saying that, like, he's very afraid that people are going to want Caesar to be king. He doesn't like that. <laughs> Austin is so distressed. He just, like, <laughs> threw something at his screen. He was like, how dare you? How dare you mention kings? <laughs> Um, but no, so Brutus is saying he's afraid that, um, people are kind of like looking up to Caesar too much and like, they're going to basically allow him to ascend to a position that Rome doesn't want. They don't want like, you know, that kind of leader. Um, and this is so funny and I don't know if it's because like I went to Catholic school and maybe like my teacher was like taking this viewpoint when we were teaching it, but there's like this thing, um that we learned where like, you're not supposed to have any other idols. Like you're not supposed to worship people other than God. You're not supposed to like worship them to the extent that like, um, they get more of your attention and they have more power because it's just wrong. And that's what this made me think of like Brutus is very like to him. Like he says this again, where he's like, I don't fear death. I love Rome more. And to me, that's, like, his God. Like, Rome is everything to him. And that mm-hmm. surpasses love for his wife. That surpasses love and friendship for Caesar. That's it. So to him, that's what I felt like this was. Like, there are no other idols. It is just Rome. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, something where I was, like, that's the epitome of, like, Saturdays are for the boys. Like, he's, like, <laughs> really hammering it home. <laughs> I was, like, wow. Okay. Um
1: that's interesting because in Rome had a long, long history of despising first kingship because Rome mm-hmm. started as a as a kingdom, yeah. and then that kingdom was ended actually by Grut- Brutus's like great great ancestor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why the onus fell on Brutus to be the tyrant killer in Caesar's time. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: there was a strong sense of like poppy syndrome in ancient Rome, where Ooh. any man who got too powerful for
0: like,
1: <gasps> society's concern would be cut down. And what is the case with Caesar?
0: That is so fascinating. And like, like immediately when we start the play, Red Flag, like in the first like few sentences, like we're witnessing a triumph to me, immediate red flag. So a triumph is like a big lavish parade to celebrate Caesar's success at war.
1: It's not Um, just a triumph, the triumph in his victory in the Civil War, too, which Uh, Wasn't supposed to be celebrated a victory over your own people?
0: Yeah. Like, and it's just, like, that is, like, I know that, okay, hindsight is (laughs) 2021. And, like, looking back, we're, like, oh, yeah, obviously Rome, like, descended, like, and they were just getting to the point where, like, there was so much luxury, there was so much excess, it was all, like, getting to be, like, really, like how i imagine it is like frenzied and like this really speaks to that in my opinion like i would be nervous in a time of like very fickle favor to be celebrating that extravagantly when you have so many potential enemies like that doesn't seem strategic at all but okay
1: i feel like we could talk for hours and hours about the fall follow the roman republic <laughs>
0: but <laughs> yeah we I'll save could. that for
1: a different day <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean I don't know so we open the play we already know obviously the end but like that really hits it home and like not to be whatever we both read this play like months ago so i read spark notes <laughs> for this recording full admission i was gonna
1: say our plan was to do this episode in july <laughs> and i was gonna be like perfect because the month of july is named after julius caesar
0: you know what we should have done it the ides of march
1: should we just we'll we'll put it in the on the back on the back burner until March.
0: <laughs> I'll just like save this recording. I'm recording from the past. <laughs> um but yeah, I just like that's what I was thinking too. Like it's just like there's so many things that are tragic about this and like romantic in a sense about it too, because like there's so much stuff touching on friendship and loyalty and like those lines keep coming up over and over again and they keep getting crossed and rewired and you know like Brutus is constantly like struggling to decide whether it's like the right thing to kill Caesar or the right thing to let him go and like that to me also is just like a sign of like his obsession in loyalty to Rome overall but I wanted to touch on the fact that like Cassius is so snaky. Like, he is... I was
1: gonna say, just in general, the Roman Senate and their plot against Caesar, do you find the entire movement as a noble, just assassination? No. Or is it inherently corrupt and
0: selfish? I think that, like, they hide under the guise of, like, trying to be morally you know, upright and make sure that Rome is on the right path. But like, really, let's be real. Like it's bloodshed. Like when Antony goes around and he's shaking everybody's hand and he's like getting the blood of Caesar on him and and spreading it. That is like super, like, it's like so moving because he's just acknowledging that they're all killers and like the sharing and spreading of that guilt and that like, responsibility for an evil action i thought that was really well done and it kind of calls back to like Macbeth and like you know lady Macbeth washing her hands like i think i can't get that image out of my head when it comes to like you know like his blood is on your hands literally Mm -hmm. um but i don't know what do you think
1: sorry (laughs) what do i think of which of this whole situation
0: i like do you think that they were right in killing him
1: i do not think so I think it was a very, I know in the history of it, there was a very selfish push to kill Caesar because the Senate was scared that Caesar was threatening their exclusivity and their rights as a body above the rest of Rome. Mm -hmm. And that's why they killed him. So he wouldn't be able to enact those measures, which ultimately, like in the grand scheme of things, that led to the end of the Republic anyway, because, of course, caesar's great nephew became the first emperor of rome (laughs) that's a different story that'll be next (laughs) next, that'll be entity and cleopatra i can't wait but i saw in the history of it the senate has been like a very flawed and corrupt institution for centuries before caesar died yeah and i saw caesar as the one getting back on that but the senate was just so conservative and scared of change that they wouldn't let that happen
0: yeah like that's all it seems to me too like it's so fickle if you can't trust anyone, how do you even have enough time in your life before you're killed that you can get stuff done? I don't
1: know. I read a take on it, too, that in the bounds of the play, the character of Caesar isn't exhibited as one who would abuse the absolute power that he's been given. Mm-hmm. There's always the potential for it, and that's the reason they feel they have to get rid of him. Did you have that sense from the character of Caesar? Do you think he would have been the person to make himself king?
0: Yes. Yes. I think that like you can't help it once you get to that level and like I don't know if necessarily that would be a bad thing like uh, they had so many in not insane I shouldn't say that but like out there like leaders before and after him anyway like it would have happened eventually I just think this like there's so many things here that call to like him being like a showboat and like kind of like being like yep, yeah, I'm the shit and like <laughs> that's great but then you have to also know that like people are going to be like looking for you um I don't know
1: you think that's a case of tall poppy syndrome where one person gets too powerful and they have to get rid of him just in general or you think that's like it seems to be within the bounds of the play that's something specific to Caesar
0: I think it's just in general. Like, I feel like so many people that we look at in history, like, when they get to a certain point and, like, they get too confident and they start, like, doing stuff because they can and they're, like, so-and-so, then we know that other people band together and try to, like, get them because that's what humans do. (laughs) Like, it's human nature, I think, and especially during a time where there was, like, a lot of, like, conquering and, like, you know, preserving and national identity and... I think that's what's, like, so captivating about, like, stories in ancient Rome in general. Like, it's always a time of crisis. There's always some kind of political, like, hot bed of, like, treason. And, like, I think that's, too, why we keep revisiting, like, stuff like that. And, like, Salem witch trials and, like, the crusades. And it's, like, people will decide that, like, a group of people are, like, too much. And all of a sudden, like, there's all this stuff that happens. And... Watching it unfold is like oftentimes tragic, and you know it, it's all born out of like ideology and beliefs, and that's fascinating. Like I don't think we'll ever kind of outgrow that.
1: So I wanted to bring it back to you. since Brutus and Cassius and other conspirators, they all wind up dead by the end of the play.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think that's proof that? so I'm getting a call. I'll hang up on that. Oh. <laughs> All from Saskatchewan. <laughs> Do you think the the result that they all wind up dead and Caesar's supporters are in power is evidence that what they did was wrong and that Caesar should have stayed in power?
0: Um, I don't know. Like that's a tough question. I mean I don't think there was really a right or wrong answer. Obviously I don't support murder, but like I I don't know that it would have made much difference. Um, just when we look at, like, how Rome unraveled in the end anyway, like, I don't know. Like, it's just, there's so many changes in leadership and, like, so many times where, like, anytime some progress is made, then all of a sudden, like, there's all this jealousy and, like, ulterior motives and politics, and then someone's killed. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know.
1: I wanted to actually, I don't know what you remember when we read Caligula... Mm. that was a very intense look into like the wheelings and dealings of Roman politics. Uh-huh. Do you find that similar to the world of Roman politics and Caesar?
0: I was actually going to say that earlier. Like, I don't know. I felt like all the bonds of like within the siblings in Caligula, like that really spoke to things well too. Like there are so many conflicting loyalties. It comes back to like, who do you love more? Your family, your friends or Rome. Mm-hmm. And like, people are indoctrinated, especially if they're in, like, high-up positions within politics or royalty or whatever. Like, your first loyalty is to your country. And this wasn't, like, a time either where, like, you had, like, a lot of love matches and marriages or anything. Like, it's all very, like, strategic and, like, this is life, and, like, your life is Rome. (laughs) Like, you know? So I think, like, that too is why it was so moving, seeing, like, Antony and Brutus, like, contemplate whether it was right to kill caesar because that is like a friendship that you build when you're like Mm -hmm. fighting with someone ruling with someone um and i thought it was really interesting too because our good pal spark notes was commenting on the fact that like um shakespeare like during this time england was also dealing with a lot of like politics over like who is in charge what religion was in power and there was like a lot of like plotting and scheming so like I thought that was really interesting because I hadn't like thought about that the first time I read the play.
1: I found the historical context of the play is really interesting too because yeah. Shakespeare wrote under a monarchy. Mhm. So we yeah. can't explicitly make his play anti-monarchist. let so well obviously no. the history has Caesar's side win in the end but Yeah. He's got to morally justify that Caesar Caesar's side win in the end.
0: Mhm. Like I never put that se- sorry, I never put that second layer on it before. Like I've never thought about that lens. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because, you know, you're right. Like, that totally would have influenced how he wrote about Caesar. Mm-hmm. Um, but,
1: yeah. So bringing it back to the story of the play. Yes. Caesar is assassinated. Yes. And then after his death, Antony and Brutus strike a bargain, mm-hmm. a truce,
2: mm-hmm.
1: wherein um, Caesar uh, Antony won't directly go against what Brutus says. hmm so they each try to get the public on their side to support their each of their movements. And this all comes out at Caesar's funeral. Yeah. So this is my absolute favorite uh, scene in all of Shakespeare is Anthony's really? funeral speech.
0: Are you serious? That's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's one of two Shakespeare speeches that I know off by heart.
0: Austin! That is so cool. Okay. <laughs> Recite it for those of us who have a The whole not. thing? <laughs> Just do a summary. Just do a okay. summary.
1: Okay. <laughs> Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable, an honorable man, so are they all honorable men, come I to speak at Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me, but Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. He hath brought home many captives to home to Rome, whose coffers, whose ransoms, the generals' coffers did fill. Did this in Caesar seem ambitious? When that the when that the poor had cried, Caesar hath wept. Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. You all did see how, on the Lupercal, I thrice offered him a kingly crown, which he did thrice refuse. Did this seem ambitious? I speak not to disprove what Brutus says, but I must speak what I know. You all did love him once, and not without cause. What cause you with what cause withhold you then to mourn him? O British beasts, you have no O reason you have fled to British beasts, and men have lost their wits. Forgive me, my heart is in the coffin there with Caesar, and I must, I must pause till it return to me.
0: Okay, that was the coolest thing that's ever happened. In my entire
1: life. I should I should have worn my toga for this episode.
0: That is so awesome.
1: The other one that I know is, so is the fast. winter of Red discontent from Richard the Third, but I'm not gonna say that one now.
0: <laughs> the only one I had memorized was like all the world's a stage, and that was like I, I I don't even think I could do that anymore. That was <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever listened to. God.
1: So the point of that speech is that Brutus or Mark Antony tells Brutus I won't go against what you did to caesar i won't tell the public that but then he uses this very ironic speech Mm. calling brutus um a good man over and over but then disproving it by like countering that with all the good things that caesar did yeah so he works up the crowd against brutus and the rest of the conspirators and they actually end up having to flee rome so this is when my boy octavius comes onto the scene Who is, was of course caesar's great nephew and the future emperor augustus Mm. so they Antony and Octavian form an alliance, and they go to war against the Conspirators, which ends up in the Conspirators' defeat and the suicide of Brutus and Cassius.
0: I'm not sorry to see Cassius go. He was brutal. Like, I don't know. So do
1: do you see Brutus or Cassius kind of, like, the embodiment of what went wrong with the assassination?
0: I just think he's, like, the embodiment of, like, a jealous, like shit disturber like you know it's just not cute like he's not fun whenever (laughs) he comes into the play I'm always like oh god like just hard to listen to
1: do you think there was a way in which they could have pulled off the murder of Caesar and had everything work out in the end between Brutus and the conspirators
0: no I don't know I just feel like it was like a mosh pit of intentions I just there is, like, so much going on, and what it came down to was they all got, like, worked up and frenzied, and then they did that, and then afterwards they were like, hmm, feels kind of bad, and you're like, yeah, probably.
1: Do you think if they had killed Antony as well as Caesar's, like, protege, would that have changed everything? Or that is that just be Maybe. continuing the cycle of bloodshed?
0: No, I think, like, Antony definitely had sway, and, like, probably because they all liked him and Brutus, like, they wanted those two to be fine. But what they didn't count on was, like, Antony's loyalty to Caesar, probably. They thought he was going to be, like, Team Rome all the way. Forget that guy. But then he was like, actually, I do have a decent modicum of loyalty.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) So this kind of makes an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Who do you think is the central character of the play? And also, okay. (laughs) Sorry. So do you think this play is called one of Shakespeare's tragedy plays, Mm -hmm. but it's called The Tragedy of Julius Caesar do you think Caesar or Brutus is a tragic figure? And if so, which, what are their like, tragic faults? Because every Shakespeare character, every Shakespeare tragic character has one fault that brings about their downfall.
0: This is such a good question. I think that, like, to me, I read this as, like, you know in Gatsby where Nick is, like, the narrator? And really, he's just, like, the friend of Gatsby, and Gatsby is, like, the the big thing. Like, the story <laughs> revolves around him. He's a tragic figure looking at the green light. And that's how I read this as well. Like, Caesar's being spoken about, but really we're, like, viewing everything kind of through Brutus more, I feel.
2: Mm -hmm. It's
1: interesting they named the play after a character who appears in less than half of it.
0: Yeah, like, I definitely feel like it's, like, yeah, it's more about him. You know what I mean? Like, when people, like, blow up a person to that extent, like the Great Man Theory, we're going back to that. It's, like, about the effect he had on people, not so much him himself. And I thought this is really interesting, too. So, in the beginning of the play, we're looping back right now. We're going back to the Triumph, the parade. And um, Caesar, like, falls down. And he has, like, a... I think it's, like, an epileptic, like, fit. Or, I I don't know, like, an uh, episode. Like, in the play. And, like, the people treat him the exact same way they're still like very like reverent and like as they should be like nothing that doesn't impact people's view on people but i thought that was really interesting too because it was like they're just here to celebrate him but like not even just him just like what he means for everyone like what like this means for rome not just the person
1: you could argue they're uh, celebrating like a return to peace after decades to get to civil war too
0: yeah, like Which I. Which
1: embodies?
0: Yeah, that's it. That's what I mean. I I agree.
1: Yeah. So I got a whiff of shampoo all of a sudden.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was great.
1: Okay, so where were we? <laughs> I okay, I would almost argue that Mark Antony is the the central figure of the play because he he's the one who turns the play like right in the middle from it. He kind of turns it from attention to Caesar and Brutus, to attention on him and Brutus, I would say, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. He's the one who leads the, like, avenging Caesar. Mm -hmm. He's the one who finds Brutus's body in the end and says, like, oh, what an honorable man he was after all. He was the only one who actually cared for Rome. And he is, of course, the one who goes forward into Antony and Cleopatra.
0: That's true. I mean, he does give off big main character energy. But again, that's
1: biased. So I don't know. I find an inch. I don't know how much you know about the real figure of Mark Antony. No. But yeah, Shakespeare's representation of him is almost nothing. <laughs> like what, he, what he was in oh, real no. life. Like he was really into booze and girls and yeah. taking funny. it easy on everything and a luxurious lifestyle. And yeah, I'm about
0: and,
1: it. In real life. <laughs> His loyalty to Caesar was more in question, and it was more a concern of his own personal standing in Roman politics.
0: Oh yeah, I think all of them are like that in real life. Like I mm-hmm. think we definitely romanticize them. Um, but yeah, like I don't know. I think
1: if even... anything, it was Caesar's nephew um, Octavius who was the one who made his goal avenging Caesar and not the furthering of his own political position. At least at first.
0: Yeah. that's the thing too. I feel like a lot of times I know we weren't there, but like historians and writers and everything, they're always like, here's this guy. He was a big deal. These were his intentions. And this is what happened later. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they all had somewhat honorable intentions at first, unless they were like born into power, then maybe not so much. Um, but even then, like, I don't think anyone's born malicious. I think that like, after so much time and so many people trying to plot to kill you, you get a little, like, edgy and you start making bad decisions. Um, But,
2: yeah. What else did Uh, I want to ask?
0: I wanted to ask you something. Go for it. Okay. So, this is the play that brings us the iconic scene, Beware the Ides of March. I wanted to talk about the soothsayer who said that. Um, Okay. And I wanted to talk about, like, how, like, many times was Caesar warned, even by his wife, that something bad was about to happen, and he was you just like... You could
1: argue, yeah, that's Caesar's fatal flaw, is that he won't recognize the danger that he's in, or you won't acknowledge yeah. it, or he thinks he's too high above at all yeah. to be worried about it.
0: At one point, like, he's talking to his wife. His wife doesn't really believe in stuff like this either, but she keeps having nightmares about him, like, dying, and she's like, this is legit, you need to be careful, just call in sick, just go, just don't go. And he's like, if the gods will it so, it's going to happen anyway. So
1: that's this, a very, yeah, uh, a very fatalistic way of thinking about it.
0: Yeah, like this to me is like, like, it's it's bravery, stupidity, or like just acceptance of like, well, it's going to be how it's going to be.
1: May I offer you this perspective on it? Some scholars Thanks. think that at this point, Caesar, if you subscribe to the theory that Caesar didn't want to be king, he just wanted to put Rome back in order. Mm-hmm. He was starting to get bored of life the way it was now because he didn't want to be in the supreme power. So he was like, if I die, then I'll die because I have achieved everything I need to and I don't want to have to be in this position anymore.
0: This is so like, like to me, that's like, what? Did he achieve Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs? He like was enlightened and he was like, well, I helped Rome, peace out. <laughs> like That is so hardcore.
1: Well, many days he, in many ways, he did help Rome, because he did end this series of civil wars, for better or worse.
0: Yeah.
1: He did like, help the poor a lot. He did put a lot of public building things into effect. He did try to reform the Senate.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: The way yeah. I see Caesar is that he wanted, if he had in an ideal world, he would have done all that and then still been a part of the Senate. He would have been the first among the rest, but he wouldn't have been above them.
0: Yeah. I mean, in
1: Roman society, there was no such thing as retirement, unfortunately.
0: Casual. <laughs> just like the millennials and Gen Zs. What is <laughs> retirement? Um, yeah, I honestly, like, I was just thinking of how many signs there were. And, like, also, like, the fact that, like, the only time women spoke pretty much in this play was to be like, hey, like, what's going on? Or, hey... You should, like, not do this. (laughs) There's only really
1: two female characters, aren't there? There's Portia and Calpurnia.
0: Yeah. And I think Calpurnia is treated better than Portia, personally. Because Brutus is just like, don't worry about it. I don't deserve such an honorable wife. Just don't worry about it. And I was like, if I got that response, I would be like, oh, no.
1: (laughs) You remind me again what Portia's role in the play was. I'm kind of fuzzy on that.
0: Portia she was Brutus's wife she was there and she was just kind of like worried about Caesar and she was like hey is everything okay just checking in and Brutus is like everything's fine kind of and then eventually he was like everything's not fine but I'm not going to talk about it so and she was like um I would prefer if you would but uh (laughs) okay and so I just found like Calpurnia was treated better because at least Caesar was talking to her even if he wasn't always taking her seriously at times whereas Portia didn't even get the dignity of that she was just kept completely in the dark so I was like
1: "Mm." that's an interesting contrast the real Portia because in real life Portia Brutus's wife was Mm. the daughter of one of what is Caesar's like most staunchest opposers Cato oh so she was a a really hardcore Republican like her father was so it seems like (laughs) she would have been one of the key figures pushing brutus towards getting rid of caesar
0: i'm like thinking back i'm trying to remember if there were any scenes that kind of spoke to that but i i can't really think of them off the top of my head um it's unfortunate they
1: couldn't give her more of a role more of like a yeah a position to do that in the play but
0: they were too focused on the bromance and i i get it like i know that was the central whatever but i was like in my mind i was like interesting <laughs> like <laughs> i wonder what they were What's thinking the, the uh, carly
1: right? meme where she has the coffee cup interesting, interesting. <laughs> there's exactly. our meme segment to the episode <laughs>
0: <laughs> an essential component if i do say so um yeah i don't know i was thinking to like here's another thing oh yeah another thing is like when caesar's like talking with with antony So, in the beginning, this is when it happens, too, and Brutus and Cassius are talking, and they're, like, Cassius is stirring shit. He's trying to be a hype man to, like, Brutus, and he's like, you're better than him. Brutus, Brutus, (laughs) Brutus. Exactly. And then, like, over there, like, Caesar and Antony are talking, and Caesar's like, Cassius looks like a man who thinks too much, and such men are dangerous. And that essentially, like, I just picture them at opposite ends of the cafeteria. Like, one is in, like, Abercrombie, one's in Aeropostale, and they're just, like, gossiping about each Have other. Have you
1: ever considered putting on a modern re- retelling of Caesar?
0: You know what, Austin? Maybe we should.
1: You know what scene to get me in for?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'll cast it. Well, I kind of want to be Antony because I love him. So, I just
1: wanted to—I wanted to say when I told you I memorized that speech, I. Your response was so unexpected. You went for my funeral. <laughs> I, I think that we're this friends. This is because, behind the scenes, not during the episode.
0: <laughs> I think we're friends because we're so cheerful and nerdy, but then like our humor is so dark. <laughs> but, like my favorite thing is like I texted you something. I forget what I said, but it was like you were like, "Oh, how are you doing?" and I was like, "Well, like no truck has hit me yet." And you we were like, I just laughed so hard. <laughs> 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 it's just like such a dark humor and I'm obsessed.
1: Okay, let's let's pose this question. Okay. If I were to be assassinated in the Senate, would you lead the campaign to avenge me?
0: <laughs> yes. And then I die within the first 20 seconds. <laughs> I'm not like good at swordplay or anything. <laughs>
1: The pen is mightier than the sword. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression before. <laughs> that's
0: beautiful, but like ink stains and <laughs> blood is just washing away. So I don't know what that <laughs> says about anything. But, mm.
1: what are we talking about again? Oh yeah. So Blancavez goes to the island. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <That's> my remix. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: So at the end of the play, there's hints towards the tension that's growing between Antony and Octavius. Yeah. Which, of course, leads into the next installment of the Roman history series, Antony and Cleopatra.
0: Yes. Yes. I'm so excited to talk about that.
1: (laughs) Shall that be our next Shakespeare one? I think think it has to be, doesn't it? It
0: has to. I I would be so excited if we did. I really, really, really love that one. I'm going to see if I can find my old, like, children's book with illustration now that we've been speaking about my old boyfriend. But
1: I, I'm super excited. So did you have on your wall as a kid, was it like a Michael Sarah poster, James Dean poster, and a Mark <laughs> Anthony poster?
0: Yeah, probably. No, I didn't. But I just, I loved it. Like, you know, when kids are always like, oh, yeah, like I had a crush on like Tarzan or something. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> Before we start to wrap up, I just wanted to talk adaptations of the play. Okay. Have you seen many?
0: I don't think I've even seen one to be honest.
1: I know I've seen the one from 1950s with Marlon Brando as Antony. Oh, that one's amazing.
0: Okay I want to see that.
1: I find a lot of retellings though they modernize it like they put it in the modern day
0: mm-hmm. which
1: I'm not a huge fan of with Shakespeare plays personally but
0: I like I like when people get creative but like when it comes to something set in like ancient Rome I'm like I'd like to see it like that.
1: I think there was one thing on it, it was Patrick Stewart as Caesar but they put it oh. they placed in like fascist Italy
0: during the World War
1: II area, which is, just, yeah, that's interesting. I know I wasn't a huge fan of it, but mm-hmm. it's a cool take on it.
0: Yeah, I'd like to see that. I feel like, too, like, we live so close to Stratford, like, Ontario, and they have, like, the... I
1: big, don't anymore.
0: Don't make me cry, Austin. I drove by your old apartment the other day, and I was like, this is devastating to me, personally. <laughs> I wanted to put on, like, um the old apartment by the bare naked Ladies and just, like, have a slow tear rolling down. <laughs> Um, make you
1: make your own music video,
0: <laughs> like looking out the window, like I'm like Kate and you still live here, um, no, but I uh, I don't even know what we're talking about. Oh, uh, we live well. I live so close to the Stratford Festival that I've seen like so many cool like interpretations of things that I never would have thought about, and I really enjoyed, to be honest. So I'm pretty open to things, but like. When you're talking about, like, ancient Rome, it's hard to get that out of your head. Although, mm-hmm. Mean Girls does pop up a lot, so it's a toss-up.
1: <laughs> what was it you... I think it was it was Titus Andronicus, too, compared to uh, the real housewives of whatever.
0: <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Like, <laughs> I think, too, we really, like, put Shakespeare on a pedestal nowadays, and we're like, oh, he's so old and stuffy. But, like, really, like, his plays were enjoyed outdoors with like beer like it was like entertainment it wasn't like jokes yeah it wasn't highbrow like it's (laughs) it's not it's reality tv for elizabethan england that's what it is
1: (laughs) we should make a thesis beer and sex jokes shakespeare (laughs) retold or sex
0: jokes (laughs) time to put that pen to paper
1: (laughs) yeah okay i think that's about all i wanted to ask you about this this round is there anything else you wanted to say
0: No, I just like, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed reading it. It had been like a couple of years for me. And like, I just wanted to say, you know, if you haven't read this one, or you you feel like you're not into Shakespeare, maybe try it again. Because every time I reread one, I'm always like, left feeling happy, happier for doing it. You know what I mean? Like, Uh it's really entertaining. It's even better if like, you Sparks Notes it afterwards to see the significance or like maybe some jokes popped up that you didn't realize were there mm-hmm. or lord knows and maybe you have an english teacher in the family and they have like all the inside goss i don't know <laughs> um but i just wanted to say like give it a go you won't regret it
1: yeah that's definitely my favorite of the plays we've discussed so far on the podcast it's probably in my top yeah. three of like all shakespeare's plays
0: it was fantastic. i won't reveal
1: my other two for now
0: <laughs> Ooh, the suspense yeah it was really you want, good
1: you want to take a guess on my other top two are
0: Okay, I'm gonna say Caesar,
2: Titus Andronicus, and
0: King Lear.
1: Interesting take.
0: Oh, I'm not gonna say
1: if you're right or wrong. We'll leave. What do you think? I'll wait until we cover them.
0: Okay, what do you think mine are?
1: Romeo and Juliet. Mm Mhm. Antony and Cleopatra.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I (laughs) want to say Twelfth Night, maybe. Did I get two out of three?
0: Yes, it's Twelfth Night, Romeo and Juliet, and A Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh,
1: That was my my backup guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Antony, okay, so it's top four, because I can't knock anyone out of that lineup.
1: You know what, I haven't read A Midsummer Night's Dream yet.
0: You haven't? That's shocking. (laughs) I feel like that's more popular than Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. It's like, well, a hot or maybe take. I know, or maybe it should be. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Anyway, we'll get into that on another episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, we hope we're ha- you're having a great week. And
1: thanks for chatting, Sophia. Thanks for listening, everybody.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening.
2: We see will you see you next time.
0: See you next time.